I'd encourage everyone to take out their Bibles. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. One more time, that is Jeremiah chapter 7, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Good morning to all who are here this day. It's a wonderful Lord's Day. It's always uh, a blessing to be able to have uh, opportunity to meet together and to be able to worship God and serve Him uh, faithfully as He has set forth in His Word. If you open your Bibles there to Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, you might want to keep them there. That's where we're going to be uh, looking at this morning as far as our lesson is concerned. When you think about Jeremiah and you look back to the days of Jeremiah's prophecy, uh, it came to pass roughly between uh, 626 and 585 B.C. And the people of Judah at that time found themselves in a very difficult circumstance, a very trying circumstance. The northern kingdom, for all intents and purposes, had been done away with. It was carried off into Assyrian captivity. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon at that time, had taken and gone up against the Assyrians and had conquered them. And he had set his attention at that time toward Judah. And so the people of Judah uh, were having some challenges. But one of the challenges they brought upon themselves. And they themselves were responsible for the particular circumstance that we're going to look at this morning. They had developed for themselves a false trust. And this false trust became very damaging to their lives. And it was something that God took note of and that God uh, obviously had no uh, appreciation for. They began to trust in something that was physical rather than that which is spiritual. And this particular trust that they had was not a, a trust just in money, you know, or possessions or things of that nature. While that can be a wrongful thing for people to do, this particular trust took on a different twist. And as I mentioned, God condemned that, and we would do well to learn from this. And what I want to do this morning is, is take a glance at this and maybe see some lessons that we may learn from it. Now, as we begin to look at this, we've entitled it, Look Back to Shiloh. In the 12th verse there, and Curtis did a good job in the reading, and, and he began to read there, uh, God reminded them, you look back at Shiloh. Well, let's consider why 
in the verses leading up to verse 12 why God would say that. Now let's <coughs> excuse me. first look at this false trust that Judah has. The people of Judah, like I said, put that which was physical above that which is spiritual. Now it wasn't money. It wasn't possessions that they had. It, it, it wasn't in things of that nature. It's interesting that their trust was in the temple of the Lord. Temple of the Lord. They trusted in the temple in such a way that they felt like that because the temple was there in their presence, in their city there, that it would excuse away any fault uh, or problem on their end. After all, God obviously looked favorably upon them because they were there with the temple. Well, Jeremiah was commissioned to preach to these people in these conditions. In verses 1 and 2, we find the following. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, and enter in at the gates to worship the Lord. So Jeremiah is called here. You stand in the gate of the Lord's house. God says, And you proclaim my message to these people. Now, Jeremiah was directed uh, to guide these people and to encourage them to leave foreign gods and to return to God and put their trust in God rather than in the temple. And if this was not done, then they stood in danger of being taken into Babylonian captivity. Notice what is said in verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Now God says there's still hope for you. If you will change your ways, and if you will turn back to trusting me as you need to trust me, instead of trying to have some sort of trust in me through the physical presence of the temple, then he says you'll be able to remain in this place. Otherwise, there would be trouble. Now, the overwhelming attitude, as is shown in this passage, is that the people had the idea, well, surely, even though the northern kingdom fell and was taken into captivity, surely God is not going to allow such to happen to us because, after all, we have the temple. The temple is here. And so God surely will not allow anyone to come in and to take over us as a people. And you can almost hear this attitude echoing in verse 4. In verse 4, there's a phrase that is mentioned three times. Verse 4, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now God looks down upon these people and you can just see him as it were shaking his head thinking you actually are putting your trust in this physical structure 
And the people had the idea that because that physical structure was there and because they would go into that structure and they would carry out various activities as God had designed, that it didn't matter what else was going on in their life and that God was going to take care of them. After all, God would not allow anything to happen to the temple. And they felt like their rituals and their ceremonies was appeasing God and that they really lost interest in the value of looking to God in their everyday lives and living as God had asked them to live in their everyday lives. And they had put, as far as spiritual matters concerned, the emphasis was, well, we'll go down to the temple, we'll offer that which needs to be offered, and that takes care of that, and, and you know, that takes care of God's uh, part in our lives, and, and He's going to watch over us and take care of us from that point on. But it's obvious that God required more of them than simple ritual and tradition in their worship and outward piety. And while people could look and see them going to that temple, and if they were there in observance, they could see them going through the rituals there, God saw something more. God saw deeper than that. God saw beyond that. God saw to their heart. And the people's repentance and service was called for in a true sense. Notice verse 5. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, God says you're going to have to truly repent. It's going to, be, it's going to have to be something that comes from the heart, that change of the heart and thinking that produces a change in their actions. And not only, he says here, not only just their actions in their worship, for you see in their worship, they were just coming to that physical temple. Oh, we're here where God wants us to be. They were going through the rituals just to get it done. To be able to say, well, God, we were there and we did this. And so we can check our card that we have done that. And he says, you're going to have to amend your worship. But also it was to affect the individual in their daily dealings with those round about them. Because there evidently were problems between the people there and how they were dealing with one another. Now, again, as we look at verse 5, let's add verse 6 following. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. There were some serious wrongs going on here. Now, these people were passing wrongful judgment among each other. They were oppressing others. They were wrongfully treating others. And they were even shedding innocent blood. But yet these same people that uh, through the week were going about these dastardly activities would come when it's time for the temple. They would come to the temple and they would put on their temple face and they would carry out the actions and then they would leave and go back to doing what they were doing. But they were to practice, and God is trying to help them to understand, they needed to practice the intent of the law, not just the letter. 
You see, these people evidently had the attitude, if they would go to the temple and they would carry out all the right actions, that, well, that took care of the letter of the law and that covers us. And God says, no, it hasn't. In verse 7, God says, Then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I give to your fathers forever and ever. God says, if you'll repent, if you'll turn from these ways, then I will allow you to stay here. Not only from their worship, which was unacceptable to God, but their everyday actions. You see, these people were going through terrible actions in their everyday lives, but then when they come to worship God, they had the idea that, well, we're here, we're doing this for you, God, now you take care of us, and, and that takes care of everything. You know, it's as, almost as though God was obligated to them because they came and they punched their card. The people of Israel trusted in the temple to excuse their obvious sins before the Lord. They trusted in false words, the words, the temple of the Lord. Now look at verse 8. Behold, God says, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. God says, you put your trust, you say, oh, the temple, the temple. And they were so proud that they had the temple there and that they could go and they could carry out the letter of the law and, and oh, well, you know, everything is great. And God says, you're trusting in lying words. You are deceiving yourself. They were deceiving themselves. They had a false hope that simply because they were, quote, God's people, that their obvious sins were being overlooked because they had the temple, they would go to the temple, and they would fulfill those rituals. And God says it's lying words. What they were doing was not true then, and it's not true now. Their sins listed here broke most of the Ten Commandments that they looked to for so long. And their actions breached the contract that God had given to them. Notice in verse 9, they thought in their minds, well, we're, we're, we're setting aside this time for God. You know, God has this and, you know, what else could he hope for? But yet, they blatantly sinned against that very law that they sought to uphold. Notice verse 9. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? Really? The people were, were following other things, other gods. They were involved in idolatry. But yet they had the idea that the true God of heaven was overlooking anything wrong in their lives and was going to protect them and watch over them because they had the temple. You know, we can look at that and say, well, what foolish thinking. But that is exactly what they were thinking. They do these horrible acts and then they go to the temple and they go through the rituals as though nothing is wrong. As if, in fact, they were there because they were there in worship in the temple. That excused everything else in their life that was wrong. Notice verse 10. And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. They go out, God says, and they commit all this sin in their everyday lives. And then they come to the temple and they act as though, well, because I come to the temple and because I carry out these rituals of service, that everything is fine. 
and I'm all right in the eyes of God. Sounds sort of like the Pharisees in the days of Jesus in some of their words and their actions. But God saw through their hypocrisy, and he sees and knows their hearts. Notice verse 11. In this house which is called by my name, is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. God says you're using the temple in a blasphemous manner. And it was God's intent through his prophet to make the people understand that he knew what was on the inside. He knew their hearts. That it did not matter what was going on as far as their outward rituals were concerned. If the heart bad. You know, there were probably those people that as they gathered together in the temple in that day, there were probably those that looked at others round about them and says, Oh, you know how good this person is and how good that person is and the other. Boy, these are just wonderful people. And maybe they truly felt that because of what they saw there was going on in the rituals of the temple. But God says, I could see deeper. I could see into your heart. I could see what the person next to you in the temple couldn't see in you or didn't see or refused to see. God said, I saw your heart and your worship is blasphemous to me. From here we see God's response to the people. And this is where verse 12, as we had in our reading, comes into play. When God says, remember Shiloh. And if you haven't studied that lately, you say, well, well, what, what do you mean, remember Shiloh? Notice verse 12. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. God says, remember Shiloh. Say, well, what happened at Shiloh? Well, these people knew exactly what had happened at Shiloh. They were very familiar with what happened to Shiloh. When you look back at Joshua chapter 18 and verse 1, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. So the tabernacle, a forerunner of the temple, the tabernacle was set up there in Shiloh. And so people might have the same type of thinking at that time about the tabernacle. Oh, the tabernacle is here, so everything is fine. That makes everything okay. That makes us okay. Well, it was also a, a place where there was an incident with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you remember the Ark of the Covenant? You remember Indiana Jones and, you know, the Ark of the Covenant there and what happened? Well, anyway, the Ark of the Covenant, when you look at Scripture, was a very serious piece of furniture, as we might term, as far as the tabernacle is concerned. The Ark of the Covenant... Now, I'm not going to go into all the background for time's sake on the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, uh, the mercy seed and all of that, which we could get into, which is a marvelous thing to consider and study and look at. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you find the people there having the same type of attitude that the people had here about the temple. They were in battle against the Philistines. And as they battled against the Philistines, Things weren't going too well. And God's people then brought forth the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a great shout among God's people. 
because the people said, we have brought forth the Ark of the Covenant. And because we have brought forth this magnificent matter, you Philistines might as well go away because the battle is ours. We have the victory because we have the precious Ark of the Covenant. And thus, God will defeat you and will defend us because we have the Ark. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, at Shiloh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, notice verses 10 and 11. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. The people put their trust in a physical structure there, a physical matter, and said, because of this, God will win the battle for us. But their lives had been corrupt before him. And God says, no, enough is enough. God says, I will not win this battle for you because your hearts are not right, your lives aren't right. And simply because you have my ark, does not give you the right to call on me to save you. And so he didn't. And all of these people died. And the ark itself was captured by the heathen group. Now, God looks at the people here who are saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we have the temple. In a time when the northern kingdom had been captured, the sights had been drawn on Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, oh, we have the temple, everything's okay. God says, you go look back at Shiloh. You go remember what happened at Shiloh when the, temple, when the people said, oh, we have the Ark of the Covenant. God's going to take care of us. And God said their lives wasn't right. They had an outward show in their worship. God brings up Shiloh to recall them to the fact that Shiloh brought a devastating defeat to God's people. And this was a warning to them about what would come to them if they didn't forget and repent of the same types of feelings and actions that went on at Shiloh. The Lord's message is the same when it comes to the temple. When the people's lives weren't right, but oh, when they came to the temple, they were the most pious people. And they offered forth the rituals to God. Notice verses 13 through 15. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rise up early, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not. And I called you, but you answered not. In other words, they didn't repent. Verse 14, Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto this place which I give to you and to your fathers, as I have done in Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. They failed to listen. And God said, okay, the same thing that happened to Shiloh is going to happen here. You're going to go down and you're going to be defeated. And you're going to be taken into captivity. Because what you did for me was not what I asked. You had an outward appearance at the temple. You went through rituals. But it wasn't out of a loving heart and concern for serving God faithfully. 
You just came there and went through rituals, and then you expected that to be your card punch for the rest of the week that God would take care of you and everything would be okay. Sad circumstance. You know, when you think about those people in that condition, you say, how sad. But we need to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. In speaking of the writings of old, now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So this occasion was written for our admonition as well. Well, what is it? Let's quickly look. What is it that uh, we can, can learn from this? Well, we can realize the false trust that we as Christians can have today. We can fall into this same category if we're not careful. We can fall into this same thinking. And the temple today for us could be the church. Could we have a false trust in proclaiming we are, quote, members of the Lord's church? Could we have the idea that, well, we're members of the Lord's church, so obviously everything is right between us and God? Could we live our lives in such a way that through the week, when we are not here in this building, that we could be an abomination to God? But yet at the same time come to this building as though everything's great and offer service to God and expect Him to look upon us as everything's all right. And He'll overlook all the other things because after all, we are members of the Lord's church. Unfortunately, we hear of situations where people act as if and possibly believing that their simple, quote, membership in the church excuses the life that they choose to live outside of this building. Being negligent to the needs and inactive in service to others and to the church. You may hear someone say, well, you know, the church is what's going to be saved in the end. I'm a, quote, member. So as long as I'm a, quote, member, then I'm going to be saved. Everything's going to be fine. All you have to do is go and look on the uh, roster and you'll see my name is there. And all you have to do is look and you can see, well, I punched my card this past Sunday morning. I was there. We understand that this is not necessarily the case. Our faith is to produce godly actions in our lives and purpose in our lives. What we do here. We do because we love God and we desire to please Him. And what we do away from here must follow the same. Christ did not call us to be inactive pew warmers, but rather people who choose to follow His message, carry out His will, and as the psalmist said, hide His word in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. Our eternal salvation is dependent on individual allegiance not group association. Now, group association is important. It has its importance. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we can be a part of any group and everything's all right. No, I'm not saying that. But we can be a part of the right group, the church of the New Testament, as is taught in His Word. But if our lives aren't right, if our individual allegiance isn't, being, isn't fulfilling His will, then we're in trouble, just like these people. Some act as though their membership excuses 
sinful actions in their lives. The Jews that disobeyed God in the book of Jeremiah claimed exemption to their sin because they had the temple. And they went there and they went through the rituals. Well, could we fall in that same trap? Could Satan deceive us today into thinking that we're exempt to things we do in our everyday life? We're exempt to the uh, responsibility of sin in our everyday life. That we're exempt to that before God because we meet here on Sunday. And we, we worship God. God is not changed. And while the grace of God is one of the most marvelous things that we have as a treasure, the grace He offers demands holy living. If we despise His grace, we, like the people of Israel, should expect His wrath. Notice in Hebrews 10, verse 26 and following, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment, of fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know the, him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what God was telling the people in the book of Jeremiah's day. It's a fearful thing for you to fall into the hands of my wrath because he says, I'm not going to accept the hypocrisy in your life. God also has a response to this false trust that we can have today if we're not careful. The folly of simply being in the church. We've been studying the book of Revelation and are studying it on Sunday morning. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, Sardis? And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven stars of God, seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. Now listen to carefully how God describes him. That thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Now that's the same thing with the people in the days of Jeremiah that we read about. Oh, the people had a name that they lived. We have the temple. We are God's people but God looked to the heart and he saw decay they were dead they had a reputation of being alive like Sardis but God knew their works there's a lesson for us may we learn it may we remember it that we would not put our trust in the fact that we are quote members of the New Testament church that we have this building to come and worship in our trust must be in God. And it must be in following His ways every day, all during the day, not just when we come together to worship Him. These people did not repent, and God brought His wrath down upon them. May we learn from this and realize, and I am not in any way demeaning the importance and the blessing of being a member of the body of Christ. Oh, how precious that is. 
how marvelous it is that God would bless us with the opportunity of being members of the church, his body. So I'm not downplaying that at all. But that's not the point right now. The point right now is we must be careful that we don't allow Satan to lead us into the trap that he led these people into. That we go on through our life Monday through Friday or Saturday uh, with the exception of Wednesday night and we act as like we want to and we live like we want to and, and God has not thought about that much and, and we think, well, you know, when Sunday comes around, when Sunday comes around, I'll try to be at worship and then I can make myself feel better. I can feel like, well, you know, Everything's good between me and God because I was here on Sunday and I went through my rituals and I punched my card. Well, God sees our heart today just like he saw their heart. And may we, and my encouragement in this lesson for me and you is to work that our hearts are right so that every day we seek to please God through living as he would have us to live not just on Sunday or Wednesday night, that we would not fall into the trap of these Jews. The Jews' salvation from destruction and Jeremiah depended upon wholehearted service to God. Repentance coming back to living God's way. Our salvation today is dependent on the same. We cannot be simply known by association, but known for our works that our faith produces in Christ Jesus every day. What a privilege, what a privilege to realize that we are members of his body. But may we not abuse that as the Jews abused the temple in that day and time. The Lord's invitation is always open. For those who are not members of that body, we can help you learn how to do that and how to obey and be in compliance with the will of God that you may become a Christian and may serve him faithfully. If you're a child of the king today, and maybe your life hasn't been right during the weeks, and maybe it is the circumstance that you need to repent of that, realizing that just being here isn't going to do it alone, but that we have to live for God every day. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to do that. If we can help in ways that we're able, if you'll come as we stand and sing.